It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest And good morning to you, John Paul McNamara, in for Patricia Messenger, right through until one today. Patricia, not feeling the best, so with you again, right through until one. And Bernie and Sadie taking your calls, 1850-333-103. Your comments are welcome across the show. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You can email jp at c103.ie. Or, of course, you can tweet us at c103cork. And ahead on the show this morning, of course, from today, we know uh, that people can face and will face a fine of €2,500 or possibly jail time if they don't wear a face covering on public transport. Uh, The measures now are compulsory except for people who might have an illness or indeed a disability and indeed for children under the age of 13. We will uh, have a lot of emails in on that and I'll get to those across the morning also. And over the weekend, the legendary Republic of Ireland manager Jack Charlton, he died at the age of 85 and the the former Leeds and England defender, of course, who won a World Cup winner's medal in 1966. He had been diagnosed with lymphoma in the last year and also was battling dementia. We'll hear your memories. A lot of people have been in touch over the weekend with their memories of meeting Jack Charlton at various events across the, well, over the years, but also at various events held here in Cork. I know he used to be a regular uh, man fishing in various rivers on the River Blackwater. A number of texts from people who met him over the years on the River Blackwater uh, Hi to uh, a person here who says I met Jack Charlton in the pub in Ballyhooley a few years ago as well and I know people uh, met Jack in various areas of the county from Bantry he also fished on the River Bandon quite a lot he would have been on this programme uh, a number of years ago as well through his fishing on the River Bandon but also he was a guest for Bandon Week which was a huge festival in the town of Bandon across the 90s so a lot of people have their memories we'd love to hear yours uh, keep them coming across the morning 1850 333 103 or text or WhatsApp 0862103103 we will be speaking uh, with our soccer reporter Trevor Welch who would have interviewed Jack Charlton and been there covering Italian 90 and indeed the World Cup in 1994 
24. Also, we'll uh, speak with Trevor shortly on the programme. Also ahead this morning, how many times have we been asked here on the show about when is bingo returning? When is the 45 car drives returning across various towns in the county? We're going to hear from one town this morning who was bringing back bingo in a various uh, different way than where or, and what it would have been held with before uh, COVID-19. So we'll hear from one North Cork town on what they are doing to bring back bingo. We're also going to discuss a report from the Ombudsman for Children on the issues facing children who live in direct provision and the experience they have living in the direct provision system. And we had a lot of calls on the show last week about staycations and the cost of staycations. So we'll be discussing that this morning on the show with Fall to Ireland as more people are being encouraged to stay here in Ireland and not travel abroad as travel abroad is really only for essential travel at this stage. We'll discuss that this morning. Also, um, you would have heard across the weekend the GA clubs we mentioned last week have been cleared uh, for, from COVID. Uh, that is Argadine Rangers, Oliver Plunkett and Banalas Garthy. Uh, but Glanworth GA now in North Cork are the latest who have to suspend activity uh, due to COVID. Our GA correspondent Femme McCarthy will join us later in the show with an update on the scene here in Cork when it comes to GA clubs and what can the GAA do at this stage in this particular situation? We'll speak with Fimber uh, later on the programme. And, of course, Annalisa Giselle is along from 12.30 answering all your nutritional questions. If you have a question for Annalisa, get that into us as well across the morning. Or indeed, text us to 86 That and more to come between now and 1 on what is a wet Monday morning here in Cork, but it is going to dry up across the day and we're going to have clear spells anyhow later on this afternoon. And I know a lot of calls uh, earlier on in the year when COVID had broken out here in Ireland people were asking especially in the Buttevant area what will happen with Carhami well thankfully uh, I know it's not something that is organised but those who would attend Carhami have not this year and there is an extra guard of presence around the town of Buttevant and all approach roads over the weekend just in case somebody did decide to arrive in the town barriers were put up as well but overall there's been a high level of compliance following the cancellation of this year's Carhami Horse Fair in Buttevant usually it would go ahead on the 12th of July but when that falls on a Sunday it then goes ahead on the next day which of course is a Monday and the fair in its 99th year attracts tourists and horse traders from right across the country and indeed the UK but not going ahead this year. Everybody has accepted that it would be unsafe to do so because of COVID-19 and I'm sure it will return next year. But I have a few interesting emails, one in particular from a person who fears that the people were trying to get rid of the fair totally. Now, no one in fairness ever said that the the reason people had concerns was because of everything that was going on in relation to COVID and gathering large crowds outside people's homes and businesses in Buttevant and why people knew there would be a knock-on effect to the local economy there. It would be safety uh, for those living in the town. Anyhow, we'll read you those emails later in the programme. And I mentioned Jack Charlton there. There's a petition now going around calling for a statue of Jack Charlton to be erected outside the Aviva Stadium, of course, Sun Road uh, would be a wonderful way of commemorating the football legend and indeed the honorary Irish man. Bush, the Shannon. Much talk about the challenge over the weekend. Uh, it's been revealed, figures have come out regarding what senators have earned, and they have earned just under 3.2 million euros 
for just six days of work this year, it's been revealed. It includes almost €800,000 for travel and overnight accommodation expenses, even though there were restrictions of movement and indeed, of course, uh, hotels were closed and the Shanna did not sit a lot over the last few months. Uh, The coronavirus and the general election as well had left the house nearly but all closed, except for four days in January to the end of June and, and two days this week. Bush, the taxpayer, you and me, we have still forked out for full salaries for 60 senators and that has resulted in a bill of more than €2 million Euros so far this year. And I know there was an election or a referendum a few years ago to scrap the Shannon people voted to keep it. Uh, but when you look at the travel and accommodation expenses, while uh, there was restrictions on movement, what would that look like if there was no restrictions on movement? You'd have to wonder about that, wouldn't you? Anyhow, uh, that story making news across the weekend. I see then from Coachford over the weekend as well on the Coachford Facebook page and it's something that we've discussed in the past in other areas and hopefully it's not happening a lot but it is happening here and it probably will happen again but it's how a group of young drinkers are meeting in the fields and woods outside of Coachford. Now, uh, seemingly they continue to leave their rubbish after them and also their drinking. So you can see in the photos they have put up of beer cans and bottles and it's alcoholic beer cans and bottles just left in this wooded area, uh, basically destroying that particular area near Coachford. Uh, the locals there have said at least... Could they not put their cans and bottles into the recycling bins on the way back into coach for themselves? And they're asking parents to be responsible if they are young teenagers that are doing this. Uh, that's coming from Coachford across the weekend. And a lot of talk then on the fact that people are being asked to quarantine when they come into this country from abroad. And the reason this is happening, first of all, on teacher Michal Martin is insisting that there will be no change. He was speaking on the BBC over the weekend that there'll be no change in the quarantine rule for people travelling to Ireland from Britain. Uh, He said it's too early for holidaymakers in Britain to return to Ireland without being quarantined for 14 days and he said the government advice was to avoid non-essential travel as the main priority was for this government to open schools at the end of next month. But then uh, something that has angered a lot of people and I have emails as well and calls already in about this Uh, and this is how a flight from Dallas, uh, Texas uh, which is one of the worst hit states in in the United States uh, with COVID-19 that arrived into Dublin airport over the weekend. Almost a quarter of a million positive cases have been recorded in Texas while unfortunately sad news that over 3,000 people have died to date there and 40,000 new coronavirus cases have been confirmed in what they know as the Lone Star State just this week alone or, or last week alone. So There were 16 passengers on board this particular flight from Dallas, American Airlines confirmed. And they also confirmed that they are now resuming three weekly flights from Dallas to Dublin. Meanwhile, then you have the Department of Health uh, who say those arriving into the state from overseas should restrict their movement for 14 days. And many of those who operate B&Bs, many of those who are in holiday destinations, they are saying that they're well aware of tourists coming into this country who were openly saying they're not quarantined, they're not sure of the rules, they didn't realise that they had to do this. There's a lot of confusion when they arrive into the airport. So it seems for some that are arriving in here, they're not staying locked up for 14 days, they're moving around. So a lot of people are asking about the government's policy on this and what's going to happen and if something will change over the next few days. Daniel on text earlier this morning says they allow people 
to fly in from Texas to this country but yes us the Irish people cannot go to the pub for a pint and if we do we must get food we either get strict for everyone or then what is the point in all of us obeying by these rules when those who come into the country do not uh, says Daniel on text earlier to 0862103103 and weddings a lot of people had to change their wedding plans uh, this year and I know that we have spoken to priests and we've spoken to hoteliers and even to people who were planning to get married over the last few months and now uh, because of that churches are going to prepare and allow weddings to go ahead on a Sunday. It hasn't happened here for quite a while uh, it's believed that over 12,000 wedding ceremonies were called off and because of that now they're going to look at holding weddings on a Sunday to reduce the backlog and just a few scams, we, we always get calls about scams and usually they're uh, scam calls or scam texts or scam emails. Last week, the latest scam we were getting was uh, on posts, so we're claiming to be from on post to do with your TV license. It was a scam, had a false email address, and uh, on post had come back and gave us the answer to that. Well, another scam that is hitting online this time round, and if you're a fan of Irish singers or indeed of country and Irish, well, just beware of this one because, first of all, Damien Dempsey fans uh, were a bit confused because this story comes from the Sunday Times yesterday where they began seeing the Irish performer on what was and became apparent that it was a fake social media account. The hoax accounts on Instagram and Twitter used Dempsey's name and image and attempted to make inappropriate requests to fans. But he wasn't the only one because the singer then has joined a number of other artists. On Friday last, Nathan Carter urged fans to beware of fake accounts on a range of social media platforms from Facebook to Instagram uh, claiming to be him. And according to Nathan, uh, people have been looking and have been contacting and been contacted by these fake accounts looking for money and vouchers. So uh, this particular person has been looking for money and vouchers from people and those uh, people that are being contacted think that it's Nathan Carter is looking for these details so he's advised that if you are contacted by any of these accounts claiming to be me and they're looking for money or bank account details please report them and block them straight away and he said I would never ask uh, for money or vouchers or anybody's bank details and also who was caught up in this was the Irish country singer Lisa McHugh Uh, she was preparing to hold a private concert on Zoom and the video conference platform uh, that she was using scammers then decided to set up an account in her name and offer tickets to the online performance for £400 to £500 sterling. And the Facebook messages since uh, claiming to be her, again, were saying the tickets will be delivered and they'll be given to you through a particular courier service. But again, they were looking for money. Uh, the PSNI in the North are looking into that situation regarding Lisa McHugh. Uh, Daniel O'Donnell also had to issue a statement at the weekend. So there's been a number of fake accounts being set up looking for money or claiming that this particular artist is going to have a particular concert, a private one online. You pay so much, give your bank account details, but once you give your bank account details, God knows what else uh, they'll take out from your bank account. Anyhow, just be aware of that. The latest scam to hit us is uh, from claiming to be Irish country singers and the most prominent ones that are out there at the moment are claiming to be Damien Dempsey, Lisa McHugh, Nathan Carter and Daniel O'Donnell. So just be careful of those if you come across those online particularly though if you are a social media user and if you do use Facebook or you know someone that uses Facebook that is a big country and Irish fan and might be vulnerable 
just beware of that for them because they are out there and they will take the money off. Who knows uh, that they they aren't uh, they're not too worried who they attack once they get their money. And uh, finally, a story that continues to make the headlines, and this uh, comes from the Sunday Times yesterday, where uh, they claim Barry Cowan. Uh, the Agriculture Minister has challenged the official Garda record of his arrest for drink driving, which says he was pursued by Gardaí after doing a U-turn as he approached a checkpoint. Barry Cowan issued a statement across the weekend and he says, I did not evade or attempt to evade a Garda. Such an act would constitute a serious criminal offence and I was not charged with such an offence. Uh, so he's disputing those claims made in the Sunday Times and indeed that's making stories as well. Uh, and that story will now continue to go on because of that particular article uh, that was made in the Sunday Times yesterday. He disputes that. 1850 333 103. Our lines are open. Or indeed, you can text or WhatsApp 086 103. Now, over the weekend, the legendary Republic of Ireland manager Jack Charlton died at the age of 85. Of course, uh, the former Leeds player and the England defender who won a World Cup medal uh, in 1966. He had been diagnosed with lymphoma in the last year and was also battling dementia. Well, our soccer reporter Trevor Welch now joins me this morning from our Cork City studio. Good morning to you, Trevor. Morning, uh, JP. Uh, first of all, he was a very successful manager going back to 1986 where he got the job. He brought success to the national side, guided the Republic through their first major finals at Euro 88 and then two more in the space of 10 years qualifying for the World Cup with Italia 1990, the famous one, and also four years later in 1994. It was a special time for Ireland. Yeah, very special time. I mean, uh, you know, we were unlucky, to be fair, uh, before Jack arrived, we were unlucky on our own hand not to qualify for uh, a couple of major finals. You know, we were in very tough groups and we've got a lot of dodgy decisions against us from referees over the years. But, uh, you know, Jack came in, as you mentioned, in 1986 uh, to replace own hand. Uh, there were a lot of big names actually in for the job uh, at, at, at the time and uh, you know Jack might have been the unlikely um, candidate and uh, to, to get the job um, but uh, you know did he turn things around for Ireland um, you know qualifying us for our first major finals in 1988 in, in Germany um, and you know of the I suppose in his, in his 10 years as the Republic of Ireland manager there would have been five major finals to qualify us for and he uh, qualified Ireland for three out of the five and, and so unlucky to be beaten a playoff as well for, for two of the other ones so you know I mean you look at JP um, you know his legacy in the early 90s Ireland went three years unbeaten um, three years unbeaten as a team from October 1990 to October 1993 that was 16 matches unbeaten you know Lansdowne Road was a, was a fortress uh, at the time and Ireland he, he made Ireland so hard to beat and at the time Ireland itself as a country was in recession in the 80s some would say a very bleak place to live as the country was slowly picking up economy wise as well he brought that lift to the country the spectacular way he managed the Irish team and the success that the Irish soccer team gave Ireland it gave the whole entire country a boost Yeah he certainly did I mean you know um the Irish fans, I suppose, are renowned for being probably the greatest fans in, in world soccer and they know how to party without getting into trouble. And, you know, the, the colours, you see it like, you know, in, the, in, in some of some of the, uh, I suppose, matches have been played out during lockdown um, for people who are too young to remember Italia 90 or, or Euro 88. You'd have seen uh, the matches and, and the colour and the Irish fans and what it meant to the country. I mean, Jack, the team that back that Jack built 
was was one of the, the the headlines, and he built some team. I mean, he used the granny rule right down. Yeah, tell us about that because he was wise and he really yeah. used that particular rule, didn't he? Yeah, he did down to a fine art. I mean, you know, the likes of um, Andy Townsend, uh, Tony Cascarino, Ray Houghton, John Aldrich. You know, he found a way. Um, you know, he, if there were a great grandfather, great great grandmother, whatever. He said, yeah, you'll do. And, uh, you know, he, he built the team. I mean, you know, obviously in his era were the, the greatest ever Irish teams. Um, you know, some some would say that we actually underachieved and some were critical of the style of play. But Jack set his teams out, you know, in a way that I said earlier were, were very hard to beat, even though, you know, pl- people were saying we had players who, who could play, like obviously the, the Ronnie Whelans and the Paul McGraths and the Liam Brady's, all really technically good footballers. But Jack set up a, a, a style where, you know, he, he, found, he, he made us very hard to beat. Uh, but, uh, you know, looking back in his career, I mean, you, you couldn't fault what he did um, because, you know, we, we were able to compete with the best. And when you look at, we'd say, in 88, first of all, uh, beating England in the opening match. Uh, in fact, Jack never lost to England. You know, he was a World Cup hero for his for England, obviously winning the World Cup with his brother Bobby in 1966. And then for him, he must have really got got under the skin of the English people, like when England found Ireland so hard to crack. And in 88, beat them, uh, should have beaten Russia, drew with them, and should have got a draw if Holland lost. Could have got us to the quarterfinals very easily of, of his first major finals. Got to the quarterfinals in uh, Italian 1990. And Jack believed in 1990 that, you know, when we got to the quarterfinal against the host nation Italy, that we could beat them, that we were, we were as good as them, if not better. And he was actually very critical of the uh, Portuguese referee because he found that he blew for everything uh, for Italy and it spoiled the rhythm of Ireland's game. And he was very critical afterwards. And, um, you know, we, we were... We gave as good as we got against Italy and uh, Italy, as we know, went all the way to the final. So when you look at, you know, what we achieved under Jack in that World Cup and then to get to the World Cup again in 94, where we uh, acquitted ourselves very well again with the likes of, you know, our own Cork lads, Dennis Irvin and Roy Keemer and the team. I mean, you know, the, the tributes have been flying in all, all um, uh, the last few days since uh, he passed away last Friday night. And you just get the picture of what he meant, he, you know, to, to the players. Um, he improved players and he improved Ireland as a, as, a, as a football nation. And you mentioned there Italy. You went to Italy. You were there for Italian 90. And as time went on, you then uh, interviewed and, and met Jack Charlton as a sports journalist. The difference from Jack we saw on the field, Jack we saw on the TV, to actually meeting him and actually interviewing him. What was, what was that like? Because you would have seen both aspects from a fan and then moving on to journalism. Yeah. Definitely. I remember I started um, right in the heart of it all, I suppose, with Cork Multi-Channel TV in 1988, uh, the year they, they, they qualified for yeah. the first major final. So I was right in the thick of it. And, uh, you know, Jack, in fairness, was very accessible, whether you were local, national or international. He always made himself available to the media because he was probably one of the best talkers you'd ever get. Um, you get. You could ask Jack a question and uh, go for a cup of tea. And he was still answering the question. He rambles on. But he was he left you no doubt that he was kind of in control of, we'd say, um, the, the, the kind of um, the style of the interview or, you know, the pace of the interview would take because um, he would take his time and he, he could give a pause uh, for an answer for 10 seconds. And, uh, you know, that's the way he was. But uh, some, some people might have thought he came across rude, but that was just the way he was. He was very... Um, We'd say he was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He was very um, kind of in control of things like that. He had really good personality. 
very strong personality and strong views, you know. Mm. And um, he was he was a dream to interview. Um, I, I was lucky enough to interview him about four or five times, you know, around 88, coming up to the World Cup in 90, the World Cups in 94. And uh, we got great material. And in fact, I'd love to, you know, dig out the interviews and just look back at them again. But he's a large and life character. And because of the large and life character he was, people then began to look at Ireland and soccer in a totally different way than they used to look at us. Because we rose up in the ranks, we were winning, we were making it to the uh, to the quarterfinals, we, we were qualifying for everything. And it did change how the rest of the world looked at Ireland, especially a small nation. Yeah. It's amazing, actually, because I think in 1993, he had Ireland ranked number six in world football wow. for a small uh, island like Ireland. And uh, people took notice, you know, when, when they played Ireland, they were new, not going to get anything easy. You know, a nation ranked six in the world. And, uh, you know, that was that was purely down to Jack. I know he had his critics. Eamon Dunphy was probably one of his biggest yeah. critics at the time. I was well known, you know, when he lost the plot in 1990, threw his pen across the table, you know, when when uh, when we drew uh, uh, with uh, with Egypt, I think, in the group stage, when we drew nil all with Egypt. Egypt. Um, uh, but Dunphy was very critical of Charlton's style of play, you know, that we should be taking these teams on and absolutely destroying them, like with the players that we had. But, uh, you know, I think... It was all about the end game for Charlton and getting the results and he knew how to get the results and he knew how to get the best out of his players and he knew how to get the best out of the team and uh, you know it was, it was, it was, it was amazing what he, what he did for soccer in his country And looking at the team he built the fans the, the era I mean everybody talks about Italian 90 for a lot of us people weren't around they're only living on the memories of everybody else it was a very special time he changed the way people thought about Irish soccer not only here in Ireland but, but across the world will we ever see that magical time again for Irish soccer I mean 2002 some would say that the battle over Roy Keane and Saipan that might have ruined that uh, a bit when it came to the fan reaction because that was the talking point Euro 2016 I think was the nearest we got with the celebrations across our own city here in Cork the big celebrations in Paris and how the, how, Paris even and how the fans reacted across fans at that particular time for Euro 2016 was that the nearest we got, do you think, to yeah. the Jack Charlton era? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, 2016 in France under under um, Martin O'Neill and uh, and Roy. I mean, good side out there. And uh, we, d- we did really well, I thought, in, in 2016. And, you know, it was, I suppose, uh, a taste for the, the younger fans coming through who wouldn't have experienced uh, Italian 90. But I experienced both, you know, I was... Uh, at, at in France in 2016, working as a commentator, and uh, I have to say, like you, you know, you'd be talking to to players, ex-Irish players who were over there, and we'd say, you know, um, they'd say not, nothing would compare to Italian '90 and Euro '88 because it was a first. And I suppose you know, with the team that Jack had, they were all playing in the top divisions with the top teams mm. like Man United and Liverpool and Arsenal and Tottenham. We had the best of players, and um, you know, I it's it's hard to see. Uh, that happening again to to recreate all that uh, magic and madness of that time. Um, I, I think you know the international game isn't as big now. I don't think you know. I I, I think it's lost something for me anyway personally. But um, you know it, it's hard to it's hard to see that being recreated again. 
yeah, get the spark back that it had during his time and maybe that we had for that year uh, during 2016 and the Euros. Very finally on Jack Charlton, he was a man also that loved his fishing and any of the commentaries the commentator would always say towards the end of a game or even if Ireland just scored, he would walk away sometimes hand in his head and some would say he just sometimes looked like he would prefer to be fishing than to be where he was. And he went to a number of fishing spots. One of them was the River Bandon, uh, but he yeah. also stopped traffic when he went fishing. Yeah, he did actually. Yeah. And I think that was uh, that's come out over the last few days. Uh, he loved uh, fishing, particularly in Mayo and Galway. And I think it was in Galway where he stopped the traffic. He was fishing under a bridge and um, he uh, stopped to hear all the commotion and he heard the squad cars coming, you know, and the Gardaí were on the scene uh, because um, the uh, bridge was at a standstill because uh, people parked <laughs> their cars on the bridge uh, to get a photograph of him fishing. He was that popular. I mean, he was, uh, he, he was a huge figure in, uh, in, in uh, not just in Irish soccer, but as a, as a person and his personality, you know. He was a big character and people stopped to take photographs of him and the guards had to move everybody on. But, uh, and the other famous one was that, you know, he was, um, he was known to be quite tight finan- with money, you know, <laughs> his <Yeah>. finances. <laughs> and um, the, the trick he had is that he'd, uh, he'd buy everyone in the bar, you know, a drink. And all, all the Irish lads would be drinking in there and he'd buy him a drink and uh, he'd um, pay by a check. He never paid by cash. And um, knowing that there's a strong chance that the proprietor of the, the bar would get him to sign it and uh, he had to put his signature on it anyway and he'd frame it behind the bar so he's <laughs> never done for one. But that, and, the, and the other famous one was that, um, you know, I think Mark Lawrenson was telling uh, that uh, that they used to go to uh, their favourite pub, I think it was Gibney's in Malahide in Dublin and Charlton anyway was waiting for the hotel. There was no mobile phones back then obviously or anything like that. So Charlton waited for him in the lobby of the hotel knowing that they were out for a few drinks. This is when they were all gathered in Dublin a few days before a, a big match like and they'd all go for a couple of drinks and Charlton waiting in the lobby of the hotel um, pull them all aside and they came in and he says where were you lads and they said we were out for a few drinks where were you he said Gibney's in Malahide and he goes right I should find a lot of you shouldn't I I should find every one of you and Lawrence goes why is that boss and he goes because I wasn't invited <laughs> <laughs> And that's why I think they all had that relationship yeah. with him. Special I mean, bond. he had a very father figure towards them all and they're all respecting that across the weekend. Uh, Trevor, for the moment, thank you for your memories and thank you for your thoughts on the late Jack Charlton, of course, who uh, changed Irish soccer for the better and a much-loved Englishman here in Ireland. Thank you, Trevor. Thanks, uh, that's our soccer reporter, Trevor Welch, joining us live from our Cork studio this morning. And your memories are welcome across the show. 1850 a lot of them have come in and here's just a few of them first of all Michael and Castletown Bear says a nation that held its breath now holds its tears when morale was never higher during the reign of the late Jack Charlton the Irish people were primed to believe that our football team was entitled to take their place at the game's top table and rightly so even though the rest of the world wondered why everybody was part of Jack's army young, old friend and foe alike and anyone who would know people from Balaná Ask them, they simply adored him as they will tell you what uh, what kind of a man he was and he was a compassionate gentleman he was a legendary figure in the world of football Jack Charlton uh, will never be forgotten on this island and there are very few who brought as much joy to us 
to a nation as Jack did. May he rest in peace, says Michael in Castletown Bear. And Jimmy Meeling says, uh, may Big Jack rest in peace. He did wonders for Irish soccer and put the country on a high coming out of a recession with the success. I heard Graham Sewis in an interview yesterday and he said uh, that when he took over Middlesbrough that one of the conditions was that he had three days off from the club during the week so he could go fishing and shooting. And another interesting story by John Aldridge was when Jack asked him to play for Ireland in the Oxford dressing room after a match and Aldo said the fellow over there and that was Ray Houghton had a greater Irish connection and Big Jack went straight over to Ray and asked him and as they say the rest is history and it began a great era for Irish football says Jim in Wheeling on 1850 more of your calls and comments coming in on those who met Jack over the course of his years with Ireland I just want to go back to the issue of face masks for the moment and people wearing face masks on buses and I did mention it earlier that it is now compulsory this morning to wear a face mask because if you don't you face a fine of €2,500 and possibly jail time and on that the majority of people this morning texting in are saying yes I'm out and about driving and I can see uh, the majority on the buses I am passing uh, wearing a face mask that's coming in from Jack on text 0862103103 but John emailed in across the weekend and this is John's situation he says I have a four year old with breathing problems and I asked the bus driver could he travel on the bus without a mask and he says you won't travel on my bus and I told him that the child was under 13 years and that I can travel on this bus but the driver uh, who's a bus errand driver said that his wife has an illness and he would not allow it Uh, this this means uh, that we have no other way of travelling says John and John says I think this should not be allowed in work for the same of that person's wife uh, feels John he emailed us over the weekend well on that uh, the rule is that for why we all have to wear face masks there is an exception for people uh, with a certain illness or disability and indeed for children under the age of 13 we will get onto bus air and about that and see is it up to the uh, bus driver's discretion can the bus driver decide because one thing that has come out across the weekend from speaking with bus, bus drivers uh, on all various routes is their thing is are they being asked to police this uh, they feel it isn't up to them uh, I mean, Dermot O'Leary from the National Boston Rail Union says Gardaí are already stretched as it is. Uh, and, you know, will bus drivers have to stop a bus and call Gardaí if there's a person that wants to get on the bus and not wear a face mask? And do you hold up a particular bus then that will cause delays further on down the line when the bus is going elsewhere? Uh, how will that work? And then you have bus drivers who are saying, if I'm stopped in a certain area late at night and I have three guys coming on that, uh, let's say, uh, aren't the most respectful in society, uh, am I going to stop them just because they won't wear a face mask? Anyhow, your views are welcome. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 86 Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. On Jack Charlton, another Jack in Bantry says, Great memories of Jack fishing in Bantry. He was great with people with special needs and also great to the Irish Wheelchair Association. What a legend of a man and so kind to us when we met him here in Bantry. Well, Maura is in Yole and Maura met him over the years. Good morning to you, Maura. Good morning. You met him when you were in the UK. Tell us where you met yeah. him. I'll tell you now, 50 years ago it is. Wow. 
50 years ago. We always went in holidays to different places and we just decided, my husband and myself, that we'd go to England and we'd travel around. And what part of England did you meet him? We, were, we drove as far as Leeds. And of course he was playing for Leeds, was he then? He was playing for Leeds then. And uh, we went to the uh, grounds and we were very lucky as we stopped the car going he was chatting to another man. And how and did he, did he come over to you or did he see you no, stopped? Uh, they see um, us and the man came over and opened the gate to know what we want. And we just said that we wanted a chat with Jackie Charlton. And he took us in. And he showed you all around the stadium he, at the time? He, he showed us all around the grounds and everything. And he was chatting. My husband, oh, God rest his soul, to the pity he wasn't here. He died a year and a half ago. But they were chatting, I'd say, for a half an hour. Because about the soccer and about this and about that and the other thing. And uh, he, he took us into the reception room and we sat down for about five or ten minutes. But he was a lovely man. And very friendly also, the way he brought you in, sat down. You know, he wasn't in a rush to get rid of you. He made time no. for you all. Oh, no, 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 no. And he told us that he loved Ireland and he loved the Irish people. And this would have been before he was managing Ireland. It was 50 oh, years ago. Yeah, it would be before he was managing Ireland. So you would have known him from his involvement with Leeds and I presume from the World Cup in, 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 when England went in the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, uh, my my uh, husband always followed Leeds United. So it must have been fantastic the things you met him and he sat down and gave you time and he showed you around the ground and uh, explained everything to you and and there was no airs or graces with him? No airs or graces or anything like that with him. Uh, And um, uh, he uh, he took a photograph with us. I have it, I have it here. And just signed an art up in the mantelpiece. And uh, uh, the other man took a photograph of the three of us, Jack in the middle, and I was in one side, and my husband was in the other side. And it came out beautiful, and he signed the back of it. And you still have that photo to this I day? I still have it, oh. and I'll have it, I'll hand it over to the next kid when I'm going. Oh, do, do indeed, and the, the signature as well is something to oh. have. Oh, yes, but he was very unusual, like, he was just talking away to as if he knows. Yeah, he could connect with people. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely he could connect with people. So we will, I tell you, in my memory for the rest of my life. Like, of course you will, especially now when he came to Ireland and yeah. started managing Ireland. You were there for the crazy times of Italian 90 and the World Cup oh, in yeah. 94. So they were amazing times, I'm sure, to live through in this country, especially because you had a soccer interest and your oh, husband yeah. had. Yeah, oh, they were great times, great times. You know, God help us. But, um, uh, I was going to say no I'm nervous on the phone <laughs> but, uh, okay. it, it is great that we can say that we have seen him and we have the photograph yeah exactly and you can treasure that now uh, oh, I'll forever treasure it. I'll treasure it forever treasure it forever now uh, yeah, uh, and he's so held uh, in a high esteem in the Irish oh, people it's great yeah. to have that Yeah. oh yeah oh, he said he, he loved Ireland and he loved the Irish people Okay, well, Marla, thank you for sharing your story and great that you still have that photo and signs and everything. And thanks for joining us this morning. Maura there and you all with her memories of Jack Charlton. Yours are welcome. 1850 333103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia.
Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And just going back to the story of Barry Cowan that was reported by the Sunday Times yesterday that uh, his challenge, uh, according to the official got a record of his arrest for drink driving, it says that he pursued, uh, he was pursued by Gardaí after doing a U-turn as he approached a checkpoint. He has come out and says that I have not evaded or attempt to evade a Garda uh, and that matter will be ongoing. But on that, uh, still people reckon and this texture says that he, uh, Barry Cowan, is reverting back to the old school of thought that the best line is defence is attack. Now, why he hasn't elected to stand on this texture feels he needs to answer all our questions from the public as he's a public rep, says that particular texter. And Richard is in Castletown Bear. He wants to know there was a building extension to the pier on Deanish Island. Uh, the work he feels has stopped now. It looks like that it has stopped anyhow. He wants to know what the latest is regarding the works there in Castletown Bear. Richard, we'll check that out for you with the council and we'll see what we get back on that from them. And we're speaking about face masks across the show this morning and now they're mandatory on public transport. The majority of people that are texting in saying what they can see anyhow uh, from on being on public transport this morning, be that a train or a bus, is that the majority of people are obeying this and are wearing face coverings this morning. But Siobhan is asking uh, the supermarkets, people are still uh, going into the supermarket without a face covering. It's not mandatory in a supermarket at the moment but Siobhan is asking uh, JP could you put it out there could you ask people listening to your show this morning do they think uh, that face masks should be now compulsory in a supermarket and that people should face a fine similar to what they would face if they don't wear a face covering on public transport should the same rule now apply for shopping centres your view on that for supermarkets and indeed shopping centres it's not compulsory. Uh, you're being advised to wear one, but it's not compulsory. And Siobhan feels at this stage uh, that the rule that's there for public transport, she'd love to know people's views. Should that also be there now for going into a shopping centre or indeed a supermarket? So what's your view on that? Should it be compulsory? 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 86 On the way, after 11 more on staycations in this country, we're also going to discuss a report from the Ombudsman on what children are facing uh, those children who live in direct provision here in our county and also uh, when there's a lot of talk about when will the bingo return one Cork town is finding a unique way around that and getting back with their bingo in North Cork that and more after C103 News at 11 next Good morning to you 1850-333-103 our lines are open Bernie and Sadie taking your calls this morning or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 you can email across the show jp at c103 and your nutritional questions are welcome for Annalisa who will join us as well after 12.30 on those numbers get those into us she'll answer those from 12.30 but just going back uh, to calls and comments first of all to Jack Charlton and Mary on text wants to say that while it was great times and when we were in the World Cup it was fantastic for Ireland uh, while now there's calls for a Jack Charlton statue to be erected outside the Aviva Stadium and Mary says forget the statue because in time to come that will be vandalised like the Luke Kelly statue in Dublin and others give the money to charity like the Penny Dinners uh, Jack got paid well uh, says Mary on text to 0862103103 so I presume she means set up some kind of a fund or something uh, for charities and give the money then to various charities like uh, that of Penny Dinners and on face masks which we now know are compulsory on uh, buses and public transport and trains and all of that uh, we were asking what Siobhan was asking earlier on 
what people thought of the face masks as they now are compulsory and you can be fined if you don't wear one on uh, a train or a bus or any form of public transport. Uh, Siobhan wants similar in supermarkets because she feels that people don't know if they should wear one or not wear one. That's confusion. Uh, when people, We've heard last week from people who wear face masks in a shop and because there might be only three or four people within the store wearing it, they're getting funny looks because they're wearing one. Uh, so that's turning people off from wearing one. And Siobhan said, because now they've made the decision to make it compulsory on public transport, would it make it easier for people if they did the same in supermarkets and indeed in shopping centres? And she wanted to get the public's view on that and your view. If you would rather uh, the, the government to come out basically and say, now if you go to a shop, you must, and it's mandatory uh, and compulsory to wear a face mask in a shop. Well, on that, Liz in Charnival says, yes, I feel at this stage face masks and face shields should be mandatory in all shops at this stage says Liz in Charnival well, Geraldine says the same yeah I think at this stage because there's so much confusion over if you should wear one or not wear one and then if you go into a store and you're the only person wearing one Geraldine says I feel like a fool because I'm the only person in there wearing a particular face mask and no one else is. Uh, So at this stage, because people don't know if they should, if they don't, uh, some uh, people I know of, Geraldine says, actually do bring their face mask and when they're outside the shop and they see no one else going in with one on, they leave it in their car because they don't want to be the one that's embarrassed going in wearing the mask uh, when no one else is. So Geraldine thinks while the majority of people have no issue wearing one, uh, there's an embarrassing factor. Uh, Would you agree with Geraldine? on that and Siobhan who's asking should at this stage what happened with the buses and public transport should we all be made wear a face mask in supermarkets like we are when we get public transport your views are welcome on that 1850 333 103 or indeed text or whatsapp 0862103103 now uh, during the course of lockdown and when the restrictions started to emerge uh, about a month ago or more at this stage, a lot of people were asking when are the various social outlets going to come back? We were being asked about dancing and the 45 car drive. The biggest one we were being asked about was bingo. Well, one North Cork community has come up with a unique way of getting bingo back in a safe manner and Anya O'Leary joins me. She's the hall chairperson and involved with Canturk Bingo. Uh, good morning to you, Anya. Good morning, John Paul. Uh, first of all, did you hear like us uh, once the restri- restrictions slowly started to lift that people just really wanted to know when the bingo was returning? I presume you guys were getting those type calls as well there. We were. We were getting a lot of requests as to when. But we can't open the hall and it's not going to happen for a while, I think, really, you know, in all. Mm-hmm. So we decided that, um, well, I heard about it in, it was run in the north. Uh, so we spoke about it and we decided as a community council that uh, we would try it. And there's a lot of excitement about it. And tell us about this, what are you going to try? Because I'm sure you looked at many options before thinking of getting bingo back up and running there in the Kentucky area. What are you going to do now to get people back into their bingo playing? Well, on Sunday uh, next, the 19th, uh, we are going to run a drive-in bingo. So everybody plays bingo from their car. And where Uh, will this be held and where do they drive into? In in the March grounds. In Kenturk. It will open at one o'clock. So one o'clock next Sunday and you drive into the Mark grounds and and what happens then? I mean, is there a speaker? Does the bingo caller, where where does he or she be? Yeah, 
the bingo car will be there as normal as in we would have in the hall itself. But uh, they were going to hear the numbers through the radio. So everybody sits in the car and they will hear the numbers through their radio because they will go into a certain frequency and they will oh, be yeah. able to hear it. And it's actually very relaxing, I have to say, because I did it a few weeks ago and it was really it was lovely. It was um, a, such a relaxing day because you didn't have to be worried about looking at numbers or all you had is your clipboard, your books um, and your dabbers. And do you bring your own books or how, how does that work? No, no, no. We sell the books. So we're doing On the way packs. in. Yeah. Uh, we're doing two different packs. We're doing a pack for 15 euro and we're doing a pack for 20 euro. Now, you have your book and sheets and everything in that pack. And when so, you drive in, I presume you, you get that on the way in as you're driving in, is it? Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, so basically, we would ask people if they wouldn't mind having decided what book they want and if they would have the money ready, it would hurry things up very much so for everybody. And when the, let's say someone wins, then how does that work? I mean, is it a case of putting your hand out the window of your car or, or how does that work? No, you hoot your horn. Oh, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> you hoot your horn and hoot it, you know, because we will have stewards all over the place. And another thing I would ask is that everybody would obey the stewards. It would make life a lot easier for everybody as well. But we will have stewards um, in looking after different blocks of cars. And when a person hoots their horn, the steward will put up a flag and we'll have the numbers call back. All right, and then verify then that the person is is after yep. winning whatever they've won. That's right, yeah. And is this something that is going to, okay, you're going to go for it this Sunday. Is that something then you're hopefully going to run every so often? Well, yes, uh, certainly. If it is uh, successful on next Sunday, which we hope it will be, um, then we intend running probably more because we won't be able to go into the halls, John Paul, anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, there's no yeah. definite timeline of when you'll be able to go back into the particular hall and do this. This is the future of bingo in your area, anyhow, for a good while. For a while, I think, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But as you say, it was an experience you enjoyed. I mean, I have a texter here who said, oh, I went to drive through bingo in a dare yesterday. It was great crack. I would highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah. And where did you go yourself uh, on your drive I went bingo? to Castle Island, actually, yeah. In Kerry. I, I normally, I'm in the hall all of the time with bingo, but I have never, I haven't played it in years and years. And I thought, what am I going to do here? You know, will I go back? And I was anxious to go back just to see how the whole thing worked, basically. Mm. And, um, yeah, I got a lot of tips, obviously. But, uh, no, it was so relaxing. You just sat there. I mean, you can bring your pillow or your cushion or whatever you want uh, and just sit in your car and that's it. And it's everything is as normal, just that you're in your car and you're tuning into a particular frequency like you would for the driving movies and yeah. then you're hooting your horn if you get <laughs> if you get whatever line you get yeah. and obviously if there's a lot of people hooting their horns the, the stewards will have a busy time trying to get around to everybody Well we would ask John Paul now I would say like I mean I would appreciate if people didn't miss with yeah. the, you know I mean if they genuinely have a check then hoot your horn and to be we'll go to them straight away And have you a jackpot? 
We have a jackpot of 500 euro. Very good. So, uh, somebody texting in here, and again, this is all to do if you're a family or not a family, I suppose, because Mm -hmm. a texter is saying about the bingo, if you don't have a car, uh, then can they go to bingo? But you'll have to be in your car, won't you? I presume you can't be standing in the yard. No. Ideally, um, we would try and get people into cars. You know, if they have a member of family, they would bring them for the day. Uh, I mean, we're expecting to be starting at half two and possibly be finished at maybe half four, the latest, I think. Now, there will be an interval, uh, you know, just a toilet break uh, for about 10 minutes. But then again, saying that, and we're talking about masks all the time here, uh, we would ask everybody to bring their mask. Uh, because if they are going out to a toilet break, well, then they have to use their mask. Yeah, so you are providing the toilets within the, the MART facility, I, I presume so, is it? Yeah. We are, yeah. So if you're yeah. going along, bring your mask because of that very reason. All right. Yeah, yeah. OK, well, only best of luck with that. I, I see a lot Thank of texts coming in here saying, uh, looking forward to all of this on Sunday. I missed everybody in Kanturk Bingo, says another Anya. And uh, Jerry saying, looking forward to this. Hopefully more areas will follow up. But I presume if there is an area listening to this this morning, they're thinking of organising, because I know other areas of Cork have done this already. Uh, so if yeah. there's an area that, that wants tips, maybe to go along or maybe get in contact with yourselves to see how it's run. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Okay, we have your details there. Organising in it, but again, we're depending on people to obey the stewards, as I say, and everything hopefully will run very smooth after that. All right. Well, Anya, best of luck with that on this coming Sunday. A new way of doing bingo in Kenturk. Anya O'Leary there, uh, who's the hall chairperson in Kenturk, but also now uh, in in charge of what's happening on this coming weekend, along with many others there involved in the bingo in Kenturk. The drive-in bingo being held at the Mart Complex in Kenturk. And as many people wonder how we will get back uh, to playing various uh, games like bingo, that is what they are doing in Kenturk. I know that has happened in other areas of the county too. uh, And there's something that's happening in Kenturk. Turk now so for those always inquiring about how are we going to get back to playing a different uh, 45 car drives bingo on that well there we are that's your answer uh, from the Kenturk area 1850-333-103 you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 uh, on the issue of wearing a mask and face masks and what of course has come in today regarding face masks in public transport and Siobhan on text earlier asking should this particular law now be, be made compulsory for the wearing of face masks in supermarkets. The texter here is saying uh, that I wear my mask every time I go into the shop. It doesn't bother me. And if I'm the only one wearing it in there, uh, the ones that are not wearing it, they are the ones not adhering to the rules. So it doesn't bother me, says that particular texter, because a lot of people were asking uh, are making the point that they don't wear their particular mask going into a shop because they feel they're the only ones wearing it and they feel that unless they bring in what they've brought in this morning on public transport making it compulsory that people will still be slow to wear a mask in supermarkets so your views are welcome on that 1850-333-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 on the way discussing staycations in this country and also we're going to discuss a report from the Ombudsman for children on the issues facing children who live in direct provision. Discussing that next. C103 Jobs. 
And on today's job spot, we have opportunities in the Charnival area for a Charnival plant hire because they require a qualified mechanic for maintenance of their hire and motor fleet. A full, clean driving licence is essential. Send your CVs to info at cphlimited.ie. And experienced fast food assistants are required for a busy takeaway in Bandon. Full and part-time positions are available for an immediate start. You can email your CV to info at daniels.ie. And workers are wanted for construction of farm buildings in the Duhallow area. A safe pass is required. Contact 087-2395-743 for further details. You'll get these jobs and more now online if you just go to c103.ie forward. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Last job. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. And on bingo being held and driving bingo being held in various parts of the county, spoke there to the gang in Kenturk. Mary asking, what about if it's raining in Kenturk? Uh, what happens then? Well, they'll be in their cars and I presume what will happen is that the you can still have the, the wipers on if you need them. Everything is going to be transmitted via a particular frequency on a radio so that should not be disturbed by the rain. And the stewards then will just be going around as normal. They just have umbrellas, I presume, because I'm looking here at pictures. This was held in Castletown Bear also. And uh, Anne-Marie here is saying uh, Castletown Bear have been doing car bingo for the last two weeks now. And she has sent in a number of pictures via WhatsApp. Uh, it was one of those days they did the driving bingo there. It was raining. And I can see people with their wipers on every now and again. Uh, and there's uh, various age groups playing the bingo. Great to see. And the stewards there were going around with umbrellas and the rain did not 
not seem to hamper them. So I presume that will be the same situation when it comes to Kantarka. Thank you for your text to Anne-Marie and best of luck to everybody there in uh, Castletown Bear with your driving bingo and also I know Bandon did it as well there a few weeks ago I think. So the new way of doing bingo for all those who've been contacting us over the last while. Now uh, a report from the Ombudsman for Children's Office has highlighted discrimination, lack of privacy and racism as the biggest issues facing children that live within our direct provision system. Many will be familiar with children attending schools uh, with so many various centres here in the Cork area. Dr. Carmel Corrigan is Head of Participation and Rights with the Ombudsman and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Dr. Carmel. Good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. And thanks for joining us. I suppose, first of all, this report highlights a number of issues and challenges faced by children in direct provision accommodation, something that maybe we don't hear a lot of on what children experience in that particular situation. And one of the things that stands out is the lack of space and privacy for those. Yes, it is. And it is a, it is a, an issue for them. Um, many of the children live in centres where they're sharing accommodation with their whole family um, and it tends to be uh, overcrowded for a lot of them. There, A lot of them are in one room, maybe with siblings and parents and they really have no privacy. The, the surveillance that goes on in a lot of centres in addition to CCTV, um, security, etc. also makes them feel like they're being watched a lot of the time. And they really, like most teenagers or most, we were talking to older children, children aged 12 to 17, and like most older children, they want that little bit of privacy, little bit of space, little bit of their own time, their development, and they really don't have it within a lot of the centres, they don't have that. Yeah, and especially at that age group as well, Carmel, they're in that stage whereby if you are all in the one room, they want privacy at that age. It's an age where things are changing in your life and the last thing they want to be is just sharing a room with everybody else, especially maybe their parents or their other family exactly. members. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And it does impact on them. And it's, it, But it's also that sense of not having any, uh, along with the space, of just not having the privacy. It's the, you know, some children told us that you know, they're rented by management without no sense. Um, and that leads them onto that whole sense of no privacy, no, and of just being different, of being different to, you know, other children their age. So they're just, it, it contributes to that sense of difference. And the difference is that coming from the fact that when they're going to school, uh, they're obviously talking to their peers in school and they realise that they're in a different situation compared to their, their friends. Absolutely, and they're and they're they're very well aware that they're in a very different situation, and that sense of difference comes out in a lot of ways for them. Um, not only in the in the as you mentioned, not only in terms of you know kind of the racism, the sectarianism, or the discrimination that they may face, but simple things in terms of not being able to take part in maybe after-school activities, not being able to just go and hang out with their friends on a Saturday afternoon, and not being able to invite people in or have sleepovers in other people's houses. And it's all of those, it's all of those small daily world things that contribute to that. Oh, that sense of difference. And why would they not be allowed to take part in after-school activities? It's not, it's not specific 
specifically, uh, John Paul, they're not allowed. But for a lot of the children that we met, they're living in accommodation which is quite isolated. It's in quite rural, quite oh, okay, isolated. Yeah, so it's, it's trying to get back out of buses and that type of thing. It's oh, exactly, yeah. and you know, transport is provided obviously to and from school. But for a lot of them, it's simply into school in the morning, home from school in the evening, and that after school piece. And again, whether it's formal in terms of playing sports, being in the debating society, drama, or it's just that hour of spending time with their friends, going for a cup of coffee or a seven-up or whatever, that that option is not open to a lot of them. And they are very conscious, a number of the children, like, mentioned to us that in those kind of things, they don't like, they, they, they don't like asking for lifts, they can't return them. Or they don't like asking for lifts from friends to 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 sports or to to the town, etc. Because it means then that people know where and a lot of where they're living, so they don't ask then for those things because that sense of stigma and that sense of shame is is there. Because they don't want people to realise that they're living in a, a direct provision centre. In, in a direct provision centre, yes. And as we're on the school issue there, within your particular report, there was an issue of discrimination and racism in the school. Uh, just tell us about that. I mean, is, is that among the students or, 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 or what's the situation here? It's children reported it amongst their peers, yes, amongst other children, but also amongst the adults in the school and amongst teachers or um, other staff within the schools. Again, it's, it's a situation where you have some very positive, you have some very positive experiences and children saying that, you know, their teachers are very good and where things are done to recognise their, their culture, their background, their religion within the schools. They are so welcomed by the children. It really helps them. But some children do report to us. In some cases, quite blatant racism. But then in some cases, much more subtle racism. And even like things that potentially were done, particularly, I think, by teachers, you know, sometimes with good intentions. But unfortunately, they still remain that they are racist. And that's the way the children experience them. So, you know, like, for instance, you know, like a lot of children report is within classrooms, you know, every child will be asked a question, but they won't, you know. And And, and it could be a question about anything or or specifically something to do with the local area? Is it something that, is it a a question, for example, the teacher might be, doesn't want to ask them because they know of their circumstance? No, it's more a case of, of, of they, they feel that they're not asked either A, because it is, it is a deliberate expression of exclusion, or the children feel that they're not asked, you know, giving, giving teachers the benefit of the doubt, and a lot of children gave teachers the benefit of the doubt, saying, well, maybe they think I don't know, and they don't want to ask me, you know, they, don't, they think it might embarrass me, maybe it's because, you know, maybe they think my, my, my language is not good enough, and they're not trying to put me on the spot, but a lot of children say, you know, we're there. We 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 take part. We speak perfect English. They don't. They just don't ask us. They don't ask us to read in class. They don't ask questions in class. And then the flip side of that is that when it comes to things like looking at, um, say, the global issue of refugees in a subject like CSP, that they're singled out to talk about it. Um. 
and and that there's that whole revisitation for some of them of trauma because it brings back trauma if they're asked about these things. But also they're very conscious that they don't represent all refugees. They don't represent all of, you know, where they come from. And a lot of them find the their home countries to be quite difficult for them because it's not their experience. So yeah, and it would be a different situation than what they think they're being asked. But also, is that something yeah. that should be out of this report sent back into the education system and maybe Absolutely. those educators uh, within the system? Yeah, and that's one of the things that, that we've identified in this report that we think should happen, which is, you know, that, you know, teachers and board management and school principals, I think, you know, they should really be helped to identify racism you know, for themselves and within the children in the school and help to, you know, learn how to address that correctly and, and in a positive way and to, you know, a better understanding maybe of what the, the you know, the international protection process is and what direct provision is and limitations and the challenges that that may place on children. And what we really recommend is that the Department of Education and the um, Department of Justice kind of work together to, to, you know, through continued professional development for educators, because one of the issues that comes up is that, you know, we can all recognise very blatant racism, but sometimes the more subtle forms are not as easy to recognise or identify or to challenge, and it's to help teachers you know, with that issue um, and to support them through through training and support to recognise it and deal with it. And obviously what happens in the school is reflected then somewhat in the community as well, even though over the years uh, when we are dealing with uh, outside broadcast, and one of those was in McCroom and we would have met people from the centres in McCroom at the time and Mill Street as well. They all did feel that they were made feel welcome into the town and there was no issue of racism or anything that they told us anyway on radio. But one thing a lot of people would like is and I know you can't comment specifically on direct provision itself, but a lot of them would like to live in uh, a normal house, they said, with a roof over their head. Uh, they're all very grateful, though, to think that they have the direct provision system. Many of them that actually came along said they didn't even think they would be in this type of scenario. They're very grateful for that. Uh, but, but as everybody in Ireland is looking for a house, it's going to be very difficult to house every single person uh, and that's something that some that have come into this country would like is their own home I mean h- how would you view that uh, that they would they be better in their own home if that was a possible in this country which obviously at the moment it isn't but, but would, it, would it be a better solution than what we have because I'm sure in years to come we'll be all looking at direct vision and asking what was that all about yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the key things for, for coming out of this report is that that's one of the things that the children themselves say, which is, you know, if we if we lived in the community, it would be so much better, as opposed to living all together on the outskirts of the community, you know, and mm. living separately, that if we could live in the community you know, it would make it so much easier for the children to, you know, be involved in things, to be more included in the community. And, I mean, I mean clearly, uh, like we're all very aware of the overall housing situation in Ireland at the moment. And But it's, it's, it's not a question of kind of, you know, you know, putting groups of vulnerable children, no matter who they are, into competition with each other. Um, but I think... Ideally, that's 
everybody like is to have you know their own door, their own front door, their own bit of space, their own bit of privacy, and to be in a where they could actually get much more involved in local communities because they're not as isolated from them, they're not as distant from them. Yeah, and obviously that is a massive issue for everybody at the moment. So you, we can see wh- wh- why there is delays even considering that. Uh, but just getting back finally to the issue of the buildings they are in within direct provision. I mean, many of those, some would say, uh, can be cash cows for those who run it from the government because they're guaranteed money from that. But on that issue then, in this report, cleanliness was another issue. Uh, and some of these buildings that they were being, these people are being housed in, some uh, maybe were not fit for purpose. I mean, I think that is absolutely true, and I think that is it. It's something that the Department of Justice has 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 owned up to as well, very clearly accepted that when the new national standards for for direct vision accommodation come in in January, a number of these centres are going to close because they are substandard and they're not going to be able to be brought up to standard. You know, like remedial works or or etc. Are just not possible, and they're not going to bring them up to that. So I think next year we will see the closure of a number of centres because they are already substandard. And I think it's it's one of the things again that we've recommended in this report is that we start to see plans now for what happens to the residents of those centres, and some of which are have already been identified by by the department, and that they start to plan now you know, 12 months ahead as to what is going to happen and where they're going to be located and that, you know, that we don't fall back on using emergency accommodation, which is is, is not, you know, designed for this purpose either, so that they really start to plan ahead. Now, where the where and the how is really going to be a challenge and it's going to be a big, it, it's undoubtedly it's going to be a challenge for, for the department, for the whole system. But it is something that we know is going to happen and therefore we think the department can actually start to plan and prepare for that. Well, we'll wait and see what happens uh, regarding direct provision in this country for the moment. Interesting report and it's good to get an insight on children within the system. Uh, Dr. Carmel Corrigan, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank on you that. very much. John Thank John. you. Dr. Carmel Corrigan there, who's Head of Participation and Rights with the Ombudsman on that particular issue regarding direct provision. Your views are welcome. Uh, majority of people would be familiar with direct provision here in Cork in various areas of the city and indeed county. Uh, and your views are welcome on that. While some feel it's wrong, um, some feel that here in Ireland and we have a situation where we can't house people that are in the country as it is and while more people are being brought in how do we manage that particular situation uh, your views are welcome 1850 text or whatsapp 0862103103 discussing staycation and everybody at this stage I would presume anyhow is deciding on staycation this year well, we're going to discuss that and what is available from Fall to Ireland next Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. As foreign travel is not advised this summer unless essential, many are now looking towards staycations and Falter Ireland have launched a domestic campaign and accommodation development manager Tara Kerry joins me. Good morning to you, Tara. Good morning, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. And thanks for joining us. Now, the domestic market is going to be huge this year for tourism. And I suppose customers, first of all, need to be reassured about the COVID-19 safety measures also on this. But you've made and launched a major campaign to encourage staycations. Uh, Is there good value to be had out there? 
There is indeed. And again, it means shopping around a little bit in certain locations. But in the main, yes, uh, all different types of accommodation providers are offering every type of accommodation from hotels uh, to self-catering, bed and breakfast, etc. It's all there. And no matter where in the country you go, you'll get some very good, high quality accommodation. But the secret, I suppose, to any campaign that we're doing and to the tourism industry in Ireland is that it's not just accommodation providers we're talking about here. Obviously, people need a place to stay. That's the key element of it. But when they're in a location, they need to know that there's good restaurants, there's good attractions, there's good activities, places that they can go out and enjoy themselves. So it could be attractions, activities, etc. And the one thing is that Ireland has an abundance of those. And this year, I suppose, because the majority of people who are going to be travelling around the country will be the domestic visitor or the domestic tourist. So there is a lot of choice there for people. And as you mentioned, value there, shopping around is the key, I think, because I know we've been getting calls for the last few weeks about people who were searching for a certain hotel. And I think at this stage, that particular hotel has a high demand. So the prices obviously are going up. But a lot of, of these hotels, too, can be four star or five star. And you can get a different hotel on the same street, on the same town for a lower price. So you would encourage people to shop around because I'm sure you've seen this on social media, the various prices that are being put out there uh, for one or two hotels, whereby if if you shop around you will find a better deal Indeed and like you said there there's many different types of hotels you can go from what we call an approved hotel right up to a five star hotel and the same across the bed and breakfast guest houses everything so there is depending on what your requirements are and yes different properties will have different price points but the one thing people need to remember is that businesses are not going to just hike up the prices for the sake of hiking them up Um, there's no benefit to them or to the, the consumer in doing that so obviously there's always exceptions to the rule but in the main when you look around and what I would say to people as well is go directly to the site the third party websites are great livebooking.coms and what have you just and uh, all of those very sites to see what's there sometimes yes you will get a very good deal on them but in the main if you go directly to the property you tend to get better value so it's worth looking around and it's worth looking particularly to the site uh, their website or to pick up the phone and make a call to them because they might be doing a, a special offer they might be working closely with an attraction or an activity and maybe doing an offer around that. So again, what I would say to people is look around, look around the country as well. I mean, you have it all on your doorstep in Cork, I know, but, you know, there are other counties where the people want to just get away for a little bit and just check out. And again, depending on the time of year, maybe depending on the location, you can get some very, very good deals. And you mentioned there about looking around. That's another issue that we've come across here is people looking at one particular holiday spot. And then we've got calls from other people saying, well, if this person looks to here or looks to there mm-hmm. rather than one spot because if there's demand from one place then the price is, is going to go up I mean if they are businesses after all if they know Absolutely. there's a demand they are going to increase yeah. prices but if, if there's no reason why you can't look elsewhere unless you really want to go to that spot so exactly. would you maybe look around and encourage the areas maybe you have not gone before and do your research well, that's what I would say, because I know myself, I've done it. You know, over the years, you, you find a place that you like and you go to it. And sometimes, I, I'd say from my own point of view, you might get a little bit lazy and say, oh, yeah, I'll just go back there. It's a beautiful spot. But what I'm now beginning to realize myself is, you know, the more I look around the country, I'm seeing all these lovely locations and I'm saying, OK, well, why don't I try that for a change? Someplace maybe I haven't been since I was a child. And I think a lot of people will find that. And I think when you look at the ad campaign that we currently have, that actually comes across loud 
loud and clear. You know, it's people getting in the car, getting uh, to a location that maybe they haven't seen for a while and really enjoying it and getting the opportunity to have that family time. Yeah, and one thing that is coming out from all of this as well is the reason why people are being encouraged to stay cash, obviously outside of the COVID, is it's worth a lot to our local economy, uh, we, especially if you're living in an area that's near a tourist location or that has a lot of hotels or that's a scenic mm-hmm. area. We'll all be aware of people who work in these particular facilities and it's worth a lot to our Irish economy, which is needed now at the moment to get things back on track. Yeah, absolutely. It is indeed. And I mean, tourism is a huge employer. And unfortunately, we saw it being hit quite badly during the time that it was closed down. But the more people who decide to travel around Ireland and make the most of, you call it, the staycation, that will actually allow businesses to re-employ people that may not have been able to be taken back in at this stage. So we're hoping, um, and again, we're looking to the future and hoping that employment will come back up to, if not where it was, as close as possible to that uh, figure. Now, the international market, of course, is going to be impacted for your your area and your business this time around. I know members of your industry met the Oireachtas members on the level of people entering the country. Uh, Is that something that you're happy with the restrictions for those who decide and land into Ireland, even though we've heard over the last few days that some aren't obeying the 14 quarantine rule, the 14 day quarantine rule even? Yeah, well, as you know, people visiting or returning to Ireland must complete a passenger locator form and they're also asked to restrict their movement for 14 days. Now, as you know, we can't simply put a blanket ban on travelling to Ireland because Ireland obviously depends on its ports and airports for supply chains and we need to keep travel routes open to cater to people who need to work or care for family members abroad or those who just wish to return home. But we do know that travel creates the risk of importation of the disease. So the government has committed to publishing a green list of countries on July 20th. Now, this will give clarity in respect of countries which are in a similar position to Ireland in terms of disease. So people, people entering Ireland from green list countries will not need to restrict their movements on arrival, as I understand at the moment. But it's a highly volatile situation. And for now, the advice remains to people to avoid all non-essential travel. So that means both leaving and coming into the country. Yeah, and for those then that are coming into the country and for the Irish who are going to stay cash, just looking at texts here coming in, the one worry is, for example, uh, we know there was a flight from Dallas into Dublin uh, over the weekend. Those people, not saying any of them have the COVID-19, but if there was symptoms of that, they would have stayed in certain hotels. Are hotels then taking measures for those that have come in that they're aware have flown in from outside countries, have stayed in their particular hotel? Are they, they deep cleaning the particular particular rooms. It's a worry that has come in now regarding uh, the situation when it comes to those who are not quarantined and who are in and staying in Irish hotels. Are, are they, had they measures in place? Well, like all tourism businesses, hotel and all accommodation providers are making doing everything within their power to ensure that both they themselves, their employees and their guests are safe and well. And the one thing to always remember with um, with hotels in particular, we'll just use them as an example, they would have always had a very high level of cleaning and hygiene in place prior to uh, COVID-19. And Basically, what they're doing is they've upped the ante, I suppose, you know, because it's much more visible now what you see in, say, the lobbies and public areas of properties. But in the main, prior to this, 
they would have actually had the very same types of protocols. It's just the one thing that hotels were not doing, and any accommodation providers or any type of tourism business, they weren't actually broadcasting it because it was just taken as a given this had to be done. And that's one of the reasons that we have introduced the COVID-19 safety charter. And that's around giving confidence to people that all accommodation providers, all tourism businesses are doing everything in their power to ensure that they are giving consumer confidence, that they know that when they enter that particular property, that they have done everything in their power to ensure that people are safe. And what people now will see, and you may have seen it on the advertising campaign, um, you'll see the little logo. It's got the tick through it. And that in itself was, I'm going to say, use the word sense-checked, you know, with a wide audience to see did that actually instill confidence in people? And those that were researched on it actually stated that it did. So you'll now see that in the windows. You'll see it in the lobbies of properties. You'll see it on their websites. So just to mention to you, over 1,200 businesses as of 5 p.m. on Friday evening, I haven't got the most up-to-date figures as yet, unfortunately, had actually signed up to the charter. And that equated to nearly 25,000 staff members. So that's a substantial number of people who actually are putting their full commitment behind the offering that they have in their business. So you'll actually start seeing more and more of those, uh, more so probably on websites at the moment because we're sending out the physical collateral that people can hang up in their lobbies. But if you look at people's websites, you know, any tourism business, and you see that little mark at the bottom of the, um, the, the website, you'll actually see that they have signed up to the COVID-19 and that can put the worry out of people who, who are, like a lot of texters, concerned about those who may have come in from out of the countries, who may have stayed in the hotel, and the risk of COVID that they the rooms had been dealt with in a safe manner and, and that there's not a risk of someone, in, the next person into that room, catching uh, the disease. Absolutely. It's something they would have always done and they would always make sure because... Prior to this, you, any number of people moving in and out of rooms, you would have always had to ensure that everything was clean to the highest standard so that there was never a risk of any type of infection moving from one person to another. And for anybody who's ever stayed in accommodation properties in Ireland, I think they'd realise that we have one of the highest standards in the world. OK, well, Tara, best of luck with your campaign. And a lot of people I know are looking at this year, obviously enough, because of everything going on on staycations. So uh, best of luck with it. And uh, best of luck to all your members as well. That is Tara Kerry they're joining us uh, from Fall to Ireland she's the accommodation development manager with them and your views are welcome on staycations uh, the majority of us are going to do that this year uh, while there is some concerns around that and, and pricing measures are people shopping around uh, some people say they're, they are still high uh, and there's a rip off there while others have said if they feel there's a rip off well then they look elsewhere and they shop around and they find good value so your views are welcome 1850 For today John Paul McNamara in for Patricia Messenger right through until 1 and Bernie and Sadie take your calls to 1850-333-103 your comments are welcome or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 you can email jp at c103.ie or tweet at c103cork and earlier of course we were hearing from people regarding face masks and face coverings because from today you can face a 2,500 euro fine or possibly jail time if you don't wear a face covering on public transport that's the measure now 
and obviously for some people for those with certain illnesses or disabilities and for children under the age of 13 uh, there's an exception there but for everybody else it is compulsory well on that and on the wearing of face masks we had a lot of people asking questions about that one was Siobhan asking now that they are compulsory on public transport should they be compulsory within our shopping centres also and our supermarkets she feels they should be at this stage because, because people are confused some don't want to wear them some feel embarrassed wearing them because the whole store is not wearing them on that and the issue of face masks first of all a texter here is saying I was in Killarney at the weekend and amazed to see so many taxi drivers not wearing uh, the masks uh, asking that particular text and I don't know if they were in a perspect box or, or what was the situation uh, regarding that in Killarney and saying I was at Mass yesterday morning and the two people who were uh, giving out the Holy Communion, only one of them was wearing masks uh, and feels that everybody should be wearing face masks. Again, there could be a certain reason why that person wasn't but the, the, and feels like if, if they are uh, giving out Holy Communion at Mass, they should be all wearing the face masks. Tim says, I wear a mask when travelling on the bus or train from Carrigtool to the city. I In the shops then, I feel I am not understood if I speak while I'm wearing a mask, says Tim. While Colm in Butterfin says the government can't make a law for inside a private property. It's up to the shop owner to do that. That's why they can only enforce it on public transport, says Colm, regarding Siobhan's idea of bringing in a law where it makes you compulsory to wear an actual face mask in a supermarket. And on that, a texter here is saying it's important to be your own person. Wear your mask. It's a valid precaution. Shame on those who who are careless at the supermarket. People worry too much about how they are perceived by others. It's much more important to keep a killer disease away from oneself than to pick it up because you worry about what others think. So please be safe, says that particular person on WhatsApp. You can WhatsApp 0862103103 or call 185033103. And finally, on face masks, Nancy in Bantry says, Why do we have to wait to be told to wear these particular masks? We should know it is safer for you and the person near you. We should be intelligent enough ourselves to know this, says Nancy in Bantry on 185033103. Well, on that and the issue of face masks, even, and the fact that today now you can face that particular fine or possibly jail time if you don't wear a face covering on public transport. Our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran travelled to Kent Station this morning and spoke to commuters on the wearing of face masks. I travel Monday to Friday um, to and from work um, on the train, so uh, I guess it was kind of half and half uh, originally, but I guess from today uh, it is compulsory, so probably we will see more, yes. Uh, well, I guess it's not too bad if you know if people are going to be kept safe from the spread of the virus. Um, it's not too much of an inconvenience, I guess. I mean, if it's only just for public transport, you generally wouldn't spend too long of your day. So it's a small sacrifice for, for a large gain, I guess. I'm traveling for essential work right now, but otherwise I like I prefer my own transportation. So I'm not a regular commuter for public transport. This is the new thing now, so I'm feeling okay with that. And it's very I feel it's very, very important to do it right now because, again, the, the number of cases are surging. So after the lockdown, it's more important to wear it because most of the people are outside. So I'm feeling comfortable. It's not a problem for me, but... We have to do it for ourselves for now. Travel every well from uh, Dublin to Cork every week on the bus or the train. So um, I mean, if I get to see people wearing masks on the train on the bus every week, then 
Yeah, sure, it seems a little comforting, I suppose, you know? Plus, you feel like if there's only one person sort of wearing a mask for every 20 people, then you figure, what's the point? But if everyone's doing it, it means everyone's on the same page, really, you know? And as long as everyone's doing it, you feel a little more comfortable, you know? It's that kind of psychological effect, too. And plus, it just makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I would be wearing masks. I'd just be kind of, like, nervous on the bus. Well, today, everyone's been wearing masks. But, um, yeah, before, yeah, I don't think everyone was. People's views there at Kent Station, the mail railway station in the city this morning on wearing face coverings, which are now compulsory on all public transport. Your views are welcome. 1850-333-103. You can text at WhatsApp 0862-103-103. On staycations, we spoke to Falter Ireland before news at midday on the issue of staycations and a number of texts in. Here's one of them, and this was answered by Tara Kerry from Falter Ireland on this, but just a text are here again, and a number of them have come in with regard to staycations how do we know who has occupied the hotel beds before us from Dallas or the UK concerned being whether they could be symptomatic Covid spreaders as indeed could some Irish too well on that they do uh, clean the rooms and do a deep clean and they don't go public about this uh, says Tara uh, before it because there was no need I suppose to go into detail on what goes on in a hotel room after somebody leaves from the night before and a new uh, stayer uh, comes into the actual hotel but uh, the rooms are deep cleaned and according to Falter Ireland everything is put in place that the person next in that room is going to be safe uh, and that there's no uh, fear of them picking up a particular virus or any particular virus from the person who was there before them so they have measures in place to deal with that and they have a, a, a statement to all hotels as well and initially and for the next few weeks you'll see a tick uh, that hotels are buying by this particular statement Falter Ireland have to deal with this particular situation well John in Mitchellstown, he said his son was in Killarney on Saturday cycling. Now, John said the amount of foreign visitors was surprising and no social distancing. He says, how were they allowed in without two weeks quarantine? Well, that's the worry. That is the worry. We're hearing that uh, people aren't uh, quarantined and we're hearing that from even those who run uh, B&Bs and certain holiday sites uh, that those coming here are saying straight out they're not really aware of this particular rule uh, and I, I'm not too sure what's happening at the airports uh, but they're, they're being told they're not aware of this particular rule when they fly in the majority are flying into Dublin uh, from the calls we're hearing John and Mitchellstown continues to say why are we being told what to do and where to go and then these people are allowed to come into our con- country and are basically allowed to do what they want says John in Mitchellstown to 1850 John and Butterfin then it says uh, he and and his friends were in Mokra's house in Killarney and they did not even get out of the cars there were so many Americans around it is all very well to say the hotels are clean and sanitised but allowing Americans in is a ridiculous situation we should stop Americans coming here as America is full of COVID-19 they will not self-isolate because they come here for a holiday says John in Buttevant on that particular situation and holidaymakers coming here who aren't going to arrive into the country and then stay in a hotel room for two weeks as they have to quarantine here they're out and about enjoying them themselves, uh, says John. And also on the issue of direct provision, we spoke earlier regarding how children felt the experience of living in direct provision was. 
And John's saying uh, on text that most of these asylum seekers are economic migrants and less than 20% are granted asylum here. These people are costing the taxpayers millions and many that have been refused asylum here are still here years after. Deport failed asylum seekers now, says John. There should be decisions made within three months of them arriving into this country. And on what Dr. Carmel was saying on teachers and the issue of those from direct provision in schools and felt maybe that teachers weren't fair to them an aspect that came from the report John who is a teacher says well why not tell Dr Carmel to go into a classroom herself before she starts preaching about educating teachers in that particular matter maybe if she was in the classroom and saw firsthand what teachers have to deal with with that situation uh, she may have a different viewpoint says John who is a teacher uh, on the phones 1850 and to, to Jack Charlton the sad news over the weekend on the passing of the legend that was Jack Charlton we heard earlier from people who met him uh, from stories of Italian 90 and in these stories from uh, the World Cup in 1994 we heard from people in Ballyhooley and in various parts of North Cork and also uh, in Bandon and Bantry and other areas of West Cork who met Jack while he was fishing here in this particular county and on this and it just shows what an impact uh, the 1990 had with Italian 90 Noreen in Mallow says for 1990 I was living in Harold's Cross in Dublin so I went down to the main road to post letter but the post office was shut and there was a handwritten note on the window and it said post office closed due to match it gave an indication of how Ireland reacted uh, to that particular team in 1990 and Colin and said there used to be a statue of Jackie Charlton in the Cork airport does anyone have an idea of where it's been moved to now and that was in the old terminal wasn't it in Cork airport I heard Simon earlier uh, speaking about that uh, has that been moved to the new airport inside the new airport or around the new airport if anybody has a definite location of that particular statue let us know 1850 333 103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 more of your calls and comments to come and if you have a question for Annalisa a nutritional question or a health question for Annalisa she is along just after 12.30 get those into us 1850 333 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council supporting businesses supporting communities serving Cork visit corkcoco.ie and Kilbritton GAA have rescheduled their Golf Classic for Friday the 21st of August. You can contact members of Kilbritton GAA to organise a team and tea times. And Dumanway Family Resource Centre have experienced volunteers available to speak with anyone experiencing anxiety or any difficulties at this time. You can contact them on 023 818. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Now, last week on the programme, we heard from GA clubs in West Cork who at the time suspended duties and play due to a COVID-19 outbreak. I can tell you since then and across the weekend and yesterday, uh, those three clubs, Banlascarthy, Argentine Rangers and St. Oliver Plunkett, who were out of action, uh, they've been cleared now uh, from that. Uh, but once a few clubs are cleared, others then come out uh, and they may have had another person in contact with someone who has been uh, tested positive with COVID-19 or maybe one of their players have. With more on this is our GA reporter, Finbar McCarthy. Good afternoon to you, Finbar. 
And overall, what have the county board said? Because I know when we spoke to you on Friday, we were waiting for an official response. Since then, have they come out and said how they can handle this uh, going forward? Because as clubs get cleared in this situation, you know, another club will come forward. And this could be the likelihood, Finbar, for a time to come. As you said, no fault of the clubs, uh, no fault of anybody. I mean, it's in, it's out there. The virus is out there. We're well aware of that. Uh, and anybody could pick it up. So have they given or has anybody given reinsurance? Well, uh, I mean, what, what what reassurance can they give, JP, as you said yourself? It's out there and we just have to do the best we can manage it in the circumstance we find ourselves in. But I understand that the the county board will contact Crow Park, who will probably give them guidelines in relation to what to do. Now, uh, the fact that it's a player and it has tested positive, the difference between this and the three case in West Cork is it was a potential case in West Cork. No, this is the case. No. That doesn't mean it, you know, I don't want to be demeaning the, the situation, but I think all the circumstances will have to be taken into consideration. Is the player young? Is he older? What's the story? And how, how severe is it? But I presume Crow Park will advise the Cork County Board on what way to go. Along. I presume by standing down activities, any player that was, I believe they played a challenge match the other night, so that might affect the opposition, whether they're from their own division or from outside the division, I'm not so sure. And I have a text to hear from a person who plays GA. Now, they don't want their name mentioned for obvious reasons, but they're asking at this stage, uh, does the GA need to look at games because are they going to spread this into communities who don't have the COVID-19 virus? Is that something the GA are going to look at now? I mean, are they going to look at club action? Well, you see, that, that's a tricky one. I mean, you can He said, the texter said, He's afraid that it's because if some player gets it and then if yeah, they play a yeah. match and no one knows they have it and let's say one player plays another team, that team didn't get yeah. COVID and that maybe community didn't have it. You're bringing it into the community. Uh, so should they stop club action for that particular regard? I mean, uh, how well, do you, how, are they, have they thought of that? Have they looked at that? Well, I presume they've had. They've taken all these into consideration and taken the advice of the HSE and people that are more... Well, like, this is new to everyone, as we said, but I suppose if you take that to a logical conclusion, people wouldn't go to work, they wouldn't go in the morning, they wouldn't do anything, because we don't know where it is or who has it or who doesn't have it. I suppose the, the GR looking from a point of view that um, we have to try and get back to some degree of normality, and there are other issues surrounding players, you know, if, they're, if they can play matches, you know, we, I don't want to be going into big, health issues but you know you know what I'm trying to get across John JP that fellas like to be playing and it is a concern but they will take the very best advice they get from Crow Park and I understand that that texter's concern but at the same time if clubs follow what the GA tell them told them what to do in terms of sanitizers fill in your forms and if a player who's feeling unwell should not turn up to training or a match he should just stay away and that 
that gives us a fighting chance of getting some bit of action as it stands. There is some games pencilled in for two weeks' time. It remains to be seen what will happen. And you're well in with the GA community, Fembar, across Cork. I mean, are you hearing from players now as, as these stories are coming out? Are there players out there who play for the club? Are they worried now about going into a game against another team in case someone may have uh, COVID and might not be aware they have it? I mean, is that a worry amongst GA players? Well, the only players I've been in touch with, obviously, JP, because it's circumstances have been my own players in my own club. And I've met one or two expressed like, concerns about going back, but this was maybe two or three, maybe a month ago. But since then, they've all went back, they've trained, they've filled in their forms and they're playing matches. You know, so, like, it's up to each individual. I believe some players have decided they won't play, some mentors have decided they won't get involved, and I understand that some referees have decided no, we saw the case last week where um, David Goff, the inter-county referee, would not, would not be officiating at matches for, for the foreseeable future and while the squares are still, or while the social distancing aspect was in play. So I think it's up to each individual whether they want to play or not to play. And whatever choice they make, that choice has to be respected. But as I said, JP, I've only spoken to players of my own club, all of whom have, well, one or two did express concerns, they've all come back playing. And is this what we're going to be getting used to now when it comes to GA clubs that we're going to see every few weeks maybe maybe or every second day of a club that may have to suspend activity because someone was in contact with someone who has tested positive for COVID-19? Is that the new normal now, do you think, Fimber? Well, I, I, would, assume, I would assume so, JP, and I presume it's going to happen in other associations at the minute. I mean, at the moment, which is the GA getting ready to resume activity. Soccer teams are back training. Rugby teams will be going back shortly. So I presume more and more cases, hopefully not, hopefully not, but unfortunately, it, it, is, it appears to be the new norm. We're, we're all, we're all going, to, it, it, we're going to be leading a different type of lifestyle, whether we go for a drink or go to work or go for a walk. We, all these things come into play. But I think, Clubs will be cautious, and we just have to adapt to it if it if it happens. And club, the concern for the Cork, Cork Championship, I suppose, is JP is Glenmore to do to play. And I don't want to be happy on Glenmore, but they've they've come out and say the player has tested positive. If we say next week another club has a similar problem, what happens to their championship? Does the match go off? And I know it's only a small concern, but at the same time, it's an issue that will have to be dealt with. Remember, we're in group stages in our championships. There's relegation and there's promotion, so. There's lots of things that need to be taken into consideration, but primarily the most important thing is that our players are healthy and come out of this the right side. Very true, Finbar. Well, as we say, it is a developing story uh, over the last number of days and our best of luck to all those in all yeah. those GA clubs and for the clubs themselves. I mean, well done on them coming out and taking that particular action uh, because it's, it's no one's fault. It's in the air. It's, it's out there. Uh, yeah. And we just, as you say, it's new. No one really knows what they're dealing with. So it's something well, that... There's more educated people than you and I can figure this thing out. So you and I are not going to figure it out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're not medics to figure out <laughs> what's going to happen. That, no, but, <laughs> but before you go, because I think this could be a J question coming in on text and you are an expert in that. Uh, can, anybody oh, explain, <laughs> can anybody explain social distancing of two metres, but on the J field, it's two inches. And that's coming <laughs> regarding play. Yeah, uh, look, I I think there's something about it. As I say, I'm not an expert on, on this, this this disease or this virus, whatever you want to call it. But they say you have to be in contact with someone for 15 minutes. So is that the case? I believe, you know. Yeah, but also, aren't they going to be tested anyhow before they go? I presume out to play any match, that they'll they'll be all be tested before they enter in. Well, I, I uh, as in, not, not tested, but they'll have the the thermometer. Even sorry, I presume they will. Will they? Well. Uh, they, 
you see, it's not the duty of the club to, te- to, to take the player's temperature. Mm-hmm. And there was a bit of confusion around that at the start. It's the duty of the player, and if it's in younger and underage, it's the duty of the player's parents to test. All right, so the players will have to. The parents or the player themselves. The players will have to declare if they, if they have an issue, if they have any symptoms, they are not to turn up training. I mean, we were training last Saturday morning, and the player, we all their forms were filled in, and then you check off if a player doesn't turn up or sends an excuse, might be working or something. But all the players that are there, you have to trust them that they came, that they are healthy, and they had no no symptoms, and that's the way it operates. As for social distancing on the field to play. If you're two meters, if you're two in, if you're not two inches close to your man and he gets the score, you'll hear about it quick enough from the sideline. That's true, and I, I, that's very true. And the other side of that is <laughs> we have seen the clubs react anyhow across yeah, the county. Think, so yeah. I presume people are trusting enough. Yeah, and look to be fair, Jiffy, I keep repeating this: the GAA from the top down to our own county board have issued strict guidelines. And from my listening to people and talking to a few people around the county, oh, and I've passed a few GAA clubs. In my travels over the last couple of days, I was down Caragaline, past through Ballygarb and my own club and a few more like that. We we played a challenge match above in, in Lismore yesterday, our senior hurlers, and there was plenty of signs and sanitizers. I know the Bars played a minor hurler match last Saturday, and again, there were sanitizers all over the place. The clubs that I am aware of are taking all precautions that they've, that they've been given. They're strictly adhering to guidelines, and as long as we do that, we're in with a fighting chance. Okay, Finbar. Well, thank you for that update, and I'm sure we'll be staying in touch on this particular story for the moment. Uh, Finbar yeah, McCarthy. Good to run yet? Yeah, it is a good, a good bit to run yet. Finbar McCarthy, RGA reporter uh, on that latest club, which is Glanworth, who's suspending all GA activity after a player tested positive for COVID nineteen. Uh, and again, it's it's just something that GA will have to deal with now over the next while. Uh, but we have had a clearance then from the three clubs in West Cork who were in that situation last week. Uh, just on something uh, different and this is back to the Carhamy horse where we mentioned at the start of the show and Gardaí saying uh, there's been a high level of compliance following the cancellation of this year's Carhamy Horse Fair in Botevent. It was due to go ahead today. Barriers were up and around the town since last week. Gardaí had operations on the roads approaching the town just in case anybody decided to come. And the main reason here was cancelling it due to COVID-19 and earlier on in March, April, when everything kicked off, there was concerns uh, in Butterfield that this might go ahead, depending on what was going to happen over the next few months. It hasn't. People have respected uh, the issue of COVID-19. But I have an email here and this person doesn't want to give their name, uh, but we have details. But they just want to, uh, us to read this particular letter from someone who is a resident of the town in Butterfield. And they say, in relation to the annual Carhermy Horse Fair in Butterfield, many people buy now know that due to public safety concerns uh, it's not going ahead but a disappointing uh, affair this is however there is growing sentiment that perhaps this should be the end of Carhermy Horse Fair and that if the fair was finished once and for all that it would be a boost for the community well I'm afraid that this couldn't be further from the truth. Butevent needs Carhermy Horse Fair. I live in Butevent, just on the edge of the town for 19 years, so I've seen 19 Carhermy Horse Fairs. And as an adult, I still love the bit of haggling that goes on on the day, the social scene, the ability for one day in the year to treat the main street of Butevent like a strip in a European capital. This year's cancellation is an incredible blow to the already suffering local businesses, many of whom are still shot are only in the process of reopening after four long months of season 
East Trading. Let me be clear, I am not a local business person and I have no financial stake in this. I am merely a resident who looks forward to the fair every year without fail. If the advice from the state is that it is not safe for the fair to take place, I have no issue with that and accordingly neither do any of the traders. But if rumours are to be believed that there are some in the community who wish to see the fair eradicated, I want to dispel that notion. There are those like me who still believe in the magic of Kahrami. You have to remember here, our town has suffered greatly in the last few years. We are on the main Cork to Limerick Road and up to a few years ago, if you said where you were from, people would only say that they were either there once for Kahrami or they were stuck in traffic in our town for hours. Now that we have a streetscape rejuvenated, our road no longer is the punchline of jokes. So... While other towns go to the extreme lengths of having something to promote, in Buttevant, people talk about shutting down our main outlet, which is Kahami, how foolish could they be? At this very moment, our town is masquerading as a fortress with ugly, unnecessary eight-foot barriers impending on streets and footpaths. This gives the correct idea that we don't want the fair, or the incorrect idea that we don't want the fair. We don't want it this year, as it's potentially unsafe. However, we didn't choose to barricade the town. That decision was made for us. Yes, Carhamy has drawbacks, like for any fair or fate that takes place in any other part of the country. It can leave a mess in its wake, from rubbish to horse dirt and everything in between. But the council have never been anything but prompt in their clean-up operation, which is often completed by four o'clock the following day. Why focus on the negative by ignoring the positive boost it brings to the town? I look forward to the fair resuming on the 12th of July 2021, like a flick of a light switch just appearing on our street. I will be there to soak up the atmosphere, to partake in the festivities and when it's all over and done, to speculate on whether it's bigger than last year's fair. Yours faithfully, a concerned Buttevant native. Uh, thank you for your email on that. Now, was a lengthy email. We uh, shortened it down a bit to get the main points out. But uh, from what we were hearing in people there was, from Buttevant, there was no one really coming on saying they wanted the scraps. It was just basically this year with COVID restrictions and with having a group of people coming from all over Ireland and the UK. Uh, locals, and not only locals, but across North Cork, just fell for one year because of everything going on. And many did not want groups of people gathered outside their homes and businesses in the town. Uh, but maybe there is an issue but overall I didn't hear of anybody uh, saying that it should be scrapped for good that it was just a concern for this year to leave it go just because of what is out there just because of what is happening uh, regarding COVID-19 and restrictions but I think people said let's just for this year leave it and next year it'll be back again for but event. maybe you're hearing difference but it was just the COVID restrictions was the main reason for it this year anyhow thank you for your email uh, to jp at c103.ie and on the issue of Jack Charlton statue at the old Cork Airport, hi to Mavis and Mavis and John in Clonakilty, they said when we used to come through the old Cork Airport terminal, there was a statue of Jack Charlton. We think they ought to reinstate that in respect of his memory. And I'm not too sure if that is still somewhere within the new airport or on the grounds. And Tim says regarding the GEA, sponsorship has taken over the GAA, particularly the staff in the offices in Crow Park, who are more interested in protecting their salaries than the game. The Dublin office have too much power, feels Tim on text to 0862103103. Annalisa, answering all your nutritional questions next, get them into us on 1850 333103. Cork today on C103. Call 
Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And Annalisa Giselle joins us from the Health Hub in Ballincollig as usual on a Monday. Good afternoon to you, Annalisa. Good afternoon, John Paul. And as usual, a lot of questions in, so we'll get straight into them. And this came in last week and we did ask our listeners about this and they all gave a good many answers for our listener, Adam, who sent an email in because he's suffering from restless leg syndrome and he was asking the best advice for this. And the majority of our listeners were saying magnesium. And would they be right? Yeah, magnesium is always one of the first ones to try, John Paul. That's very good for the restless legs. But it can also be a sign of an iron deficiency. So if you've been low in iron in the past, maybe just take a couple of months of an iron supplement and make sure there's a B12 in there as well because that's very important for making your uh, red blood cells. Um, So if it's not iron or B12 and it's not magnesium, another thing that often helps people is uh, is the um, tonic water that you use for gin and tonics. So you need one with quinine in it. It has to have the natural quinine. Or in extreme cases, your doctor will write you a prescription for quinine tablets, and they can be another thing as um, another thing as well for very bad restless leg syndrome. Okay, hopefully he'll uh, get advice there on that. And thank you for those who did text in and give him advice uh, last week on that issue. Let's go to some questions in today, Annalisa. And first of all, this is for a person who was wondering, what could you recommend, uh, or if anything, for an embarrassing excessive wind problem due to suffering from a stomach issue, helicopter pylori? A lot of probiotics have to be taken. I think these may be the cause of my embarrassing problem, says this texter. So, yeah, so it could be taking the probiotics. Um, Sometimes probiotics come along with something called a prebiotic, which is the food that feeds the good bacteria. And these are a fibre that can often cause a bit of wind when the bacteria are feeding on them. So maybe switching to a probiotic that doesn't have any prebiotic in there might help. The other issue as well is with the Helicobacter pylori. It is a bacteria that lives in the stomach and it can cause a lot of burping and wind at the other end. And one of the things that's very good for that is something called mastic gum. M-A-S-T-I-C, mastic gum. Um, I have an excellent supplement here in the shop that I use for people who have been diagnosed with Helicobacter pylori in their stomachs. Now, generally, the doctor will give you a three-antibiotic treatment plan for that. It's fairly heavy-duty antibiotics, and they are the best thing for Helicobacter pylori. But they're not always successful for everybody, and that's where the mastic gum comes in. Um, it's great to treat afterwards. It's great as well if the stomach has been inflamed from the H. pylori because what they can do, John Paul, is they can damage the mucus-producing cells so you don't have a lovely thick layer of mucus um, protecting your stomach and the acids then can start to irritate and inflame the stomach and that's ultimately what happens if people can develop ulcers from that bacteria. Another thing that might help this gentleman as well is something called activated charcoal or, sorry, it could be also a lady, I presume. Um, I'm presuming it's a gentleman with wind, but it could be a lady. Um, the activated charcoal is great for kind of breaking up trapped wind or, you know, make, getting rid of a lot of wind. So if you do have to go out publicly and you don't want to be windy, you take about three or four capsules of the activated charcoal before you eat and again about a half an hour after you eat. And that should take care of the most embarrassing problem. Okay, hopefully that helps you there. And Margaret says, I suffer from diverticulitis and constipation, but I do eat very healthy. I have a healthy diet. I drink water, uh, fruit, veg, fibre, etc. What can I do to relieve the symptoms or should I eliminate certain foods? And what natural products should I use uh, to relieve the constipation, says Margaret? Okay, so there's two issues there, actually, John Paul, and they're not necessarily dependent on each other. 
So the first issue is constipation and the certain fibre can help with that but when you become constipated the insoluble fibre which is the type of fibre we find in things like we'll say you know when you pull the bits of celery off the kind of the long yeah. fibrous bits of celery that's called insoluble fibre and it's great because it gives bulk to our stools but if you've become very constipated it can actually um, increase the impacting of the stool if it gets stuck it can kind of just clog up behind it so what you really want is soluble fibre and you get that in oats are a great source of it so porridge oats steep them overnight and have those in the morning for breakfast another soluble fibre is something called psyllium p-s-y-l-l-i-u-m starts with a P, but it's pronounced psyllium, psyllium husk. You'll get that in any good health shop, and you can add a big tablespoon of that to your breakfast cereal in the morning. And this is a soluble fibre. So a soluble fibre makes everything more slippery and jelly-like, so it's easier to pass through, and it doesn't impact if you've been, you know, not going for a couple of days. The other thing that might help resolve with constipation is taking a good quality digestive enzyme. And this really, all it does is help you break your food down more efficiently, especially the fats and proteins. So your stool wouldn't be as maybe clay-like or as, as you know, it, would be, it wouldn't be as sticky and it's much easier to, to pass it that way. The second issue there then, John Paul, was diverticulitis. Now there's diverticulitis and diverticulosis. So diverticulosis is the problem where you get these kind of little pouches blowing out in the muscle wall of the colon. So when food or when the stool is passing, little bits of undigested food can get stuck in those pouches and actually can become infected. And that's when you call it diverticulitis. Itis is always inflammation and infection. And generally when you're in that state, you'll need an antibiotic. You'll, you'll, you'll be in terrible pain, so you'll know when you need one. But to prevent those um, there's certain foods they say that you shouldn't take and they would be very, very small seeds like linseeds and chia seeds because we don't digest those. So if they're not part of a well-formed stool, they can get into those little pouches and sit there and cause problems. But otherwise, in your diet, really everything else should be very healthy to eat. Okay, Mary wants to know, what is the best time to take zinc carazone? How fast can I get the results or get results from this? To take zinc. Zinc, she has carazone after it. Now, maybe it's spelled wrong. Oh, yes, that's it. Um, that is one that I often recommend, John Paul, to help tighten up that little valve at the top of the stomach, that sphincter muscle there. Mm. Um, it's also very good to support the mucus-producing cells in the stomach. So this would be great for anyone who had Helicobacter pylori to get those cells healthy again and producing a nice like, thick layer of protective mucus for the stomach. It very much depends, I suppose, John Paul. For some people, it may not work. But one of the signs of kind of a little loose valve there is that constant dry cough because fumes are escaping and they're causing um, irritation and catching of the breath. So ideally, I would say take it for four to six weeks. And if you haven't noticed any improvement at all, you're probably not going to see a great result. Certainly, if you've done it for two months and there's no improvement, it's probably not working for you. Okay, and Maria wants to know, could you ask Annalisa, could she recommend a good multivitamin or something to help me sleep? As some nights I only get three hours sleep, says Maria. Nothing worse than not getting a good night's sleep, Annalisa. Oh, listen, and as you get older, John Paul, you become more like a toddler if you don't have your sleep. You just, yeah. I think you get crankier. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so I think, you know, I generally don't re- recommend multivitamins because I think if your diet is relatively good, you should be getting everything that you need. The only time I'd recommend a multi would be if people are very tired and run down and have a lot on, so they're possibly not getting enough out of their food. 
And the ones that I like, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Source of Life Gold because it comes in liquid form. It's got loads of stuff in there for the immune system. It's got stuff for energy. It's got stuff for the liver, for the skin. It's kind of an all-rounder tonic. Um, But a general multi, you know, you can get good quality multis for about 15 or 16 euros in most health shops and that you can get ones that are more suitable for women or if you're doing a lot of sports. So if you ask in your local health shop, they'll find a good one for you. But the sleep thing is different. What you want to sleep at night time is um, something that stops the busy brain, really. Um, and that's how most of the natural remedies work. So you're looking at either a product by the A. Vogel company called Dormazan. It's spelled D-O-R-M-E-A-S-A-N. And it's a combination of the herb valerian and hops, which is used to make um, beer. And that's very good for kind of helping you wind down so that you can kind of relax into a, a nice sleep. Another good one is um, Melissa Dream. This, these, this comes in tablet form, and it's a combination of magnesium and um, passion flower and L-theanine. Again, all of these are designed to kind of stop the busy body, busy brain. But sometimes it's very common in menopause to have disturbed sleep. So those remedies might help in the short term, but maybe taking a menopause remedy is the best way in the long term to help. And you're looking at possibly um, um, some type of maybe plant-based hormone. Again, if you go into your local health shop, they'll have a lot of different varieties and they'll be able to choose the best one for you. OK, Annalisa, well, thank you for that. And we'll check again uh, with you next week. That's Annalisa Thanks, Giselle Jean-Paul. there. Thank you. Annalisa Giselle, who joins us from the Health Hub in Ballincollig, located across the way from the cinema in Ballincollig. If you missed anything she said, just go to her website in the afternoon, c103.ie, click on air and then click on podcast. We'll chat to you tomorrow morning from 10 a.m. I'm John Paul McNamara. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.